On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Short cover comes in for the last ball. Oh, they like it. Full and given. What a breakthrough. Just mid Boomer. You are brilliant. Can you believe it? A big slow ball in the last ball before lunch. The short cover came in. Terrific tactics. And the execution from Boomer to be able to deliver that slow ball from around the wicket. What a piece of bowling. What a piece of thinking to come up with the slow ball for the last ball before the break. Did him. Hello everyone and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Mensel, aka Menas, and the big news is Australia have lost the Boxing Day test going down to India by 137 runs, uh, chasing 399. They were all out for 261. So let's head straight to Melbourne because I have on the line the cricket writer for the Herald Sun in Melbourne, Russell Gould. Russell, how are you? I'm better than the Australian cricket team at the moment, Menace. Yeah, we only speak after, like, major disasters in Australian cricket. The last time I had you on the podcast was the day after the sandpaper affair in Cape Town, and now we speak on after a pretty poor performance from the Aussies, you have to say. It really was, and it was a poor performance from the outset. I don't know if we're quite in the uh, Cape Town disaster zone because it has been pointed out by a few talking about the aftermath. We did win the Perth test, and it was only a week ago, but the, uh, this performance was uh, not great from the outset. Um, the bowlers didn't perform over the first two days, albeit on a pitch that just didn't offer anything at all. But when they got their turn to bat on the same pitch, it all just fell apart and the same old issues have arisen about batting techniques, inability to cope with really good international quality bowling and the question marks are hovering over several Australian batsmen. Absolutely. It feels like the guillotine is poised to come down on a few Aussie batsmen, if not before Sydney, you would think before the Sri Lankan series. But look, let's go back to the beginning of this test match. India started, they won the toss and batted on a sort of dubious looking pitch and they, they really ground Australia down. They made a sort of slow, painful 7 for 4.43, but it was a real lesson for our batsmen that that's how you need to play in test cricket sometimes. Well, the question was posed to Virat Kohli after the win um, about the fact that they went in with two very brand-new opening batsmen, two guys who had never opened for India before, and Mayank Agarwal, who proved a bit of a revelation, and Hanuma Vahari, um, who didn't make many runs, but Kohli pointed to the fact that Bahari batted for 15 overs. He faced the new ball, and when Kohli and when Pujara and Kohli got to come in, they just got to bat and bat and bat. And that was actually the quote from Kohli. He said they got to bat and bat and bat, which is what they did. There was suggestions that maybe they batted for too long without getting enough runs when they did declare late on day two. But in the end, it proved to be more than enough. They just showed the sort of patience and persistence the Australian batsmen just don't have. I mean, Pajara particularly, it seems he could bat anywhere 
for any amount of time. But Cole in particular, he curbed his natural aggressive instincts until towards the end of his innings when he did play a couple of aggressive shots and ended up getting out. But he shelved that for so much of the inning, uh, so much of his innings, and he made 82. And really, by that stage, they'd shut Australia out of the game. They had, and, and the Australian first innings response was just so meek, all out for 151. I mean, what was the atmosphere in the MCG as Australia collapsed so horribly? It was just a, it was, it was oh no, not again, really, because the expectations were so high, particularly when Marcus Harris and Aaron Finch went out to bat. Two Victorians, albeit Marcus Harris sort of a, a blow-in from the West, but two Victorians, it's the first time since the 70s, two Victorians had opened the batting for Australia. Um, in a Boxing Day test. So there was real excitement about what they could do. And they made 112 the first innings in Perth. So they've showed that they've got what it takes. But as soon as they went out, and then Usman Kawaja and the, the, the list just went on, there's, there's just no real faith in Australian top order now on the back of that first innings. When they came out to bat the second time, there's no real confidence that they'll be able to see out any greater length of time, just the way they're going. It's it's a real flat feeling when Australia bats, and it's just in stark comparison to last summer, when I know it was a dull test here, but Steve Smith, Dave Warner made 100 in the first inning. Steve Smith got 100. They batted to save the match. There were so many runs in that series by the Australian batsmen. But since then, there's just been nothing, and there's no confidence in the Australian batting lineup. Yeah, and what do you think they can do about it? I mean, do, do you, you're a Victorian, so you'd have a pretty good view of Aaron Finch. I mean, is it time to move Finch to the middle order and give him another chance there, or should they just um, put him out to pasture? Look, there's there's a mixed school of thought in terms of whether he can actually exist as a test, test batsman, but there's enough people saying that give him a chance at number six, persist with him for a little while, and then if it doesn't work, come the Ashes. You can't imagine... Um, with Dave Warner and Steve Smith both coming back, that there's room in that, room for Aaron Finch in that lineup. But certainly for the time being, the only compounding issue is the Australian selectors have brought in Marnus Labuschagne for the SCG test, obviously for his leg spin, you know, and his potential to bat in that sort of late middle order up around number six. So if he does come into the te- into the team with Every expectation that Aaron Finch will not open, uh, you sort of worry about what might happen to Finchy after this Sydney test. Yeah, perhaps they'll put Marnus at six and, and move Mitch Marsh on. I mean, Mitch Marsh looked pretty bad in this test match. And that second innings dismissal where he just hit one to cover off Jadeja might have been the sort of final nail in the coffin of his test career, at least for the short term. Yeah, well, what did Simon Caddy say? Simon Caddy said he would have been pulling his hair out if he was Justin Langer with that dismissal from Marsh. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that, geez, JL has, has wedded himself to, to Mitch Marsh in such a big way. I mean, he made him captain of Western Australia when JL was still coach over there. He's made him vice captain of Australia. Can you believe that? He's vice captain of Australia and he has a tenuous hold on a place in not just the test team, but the one day team. This is half the problem. JL has put so much faith in Mitch Marsh and it's uh, my understanding that he pushed hard for Marsh to play in the first two tests as well ahead of Peter Hanskin but was outvoted by the selectors and you can imagine if Mitch Marsh played in the first two tests as well where we'd be but yeah I can't imagine him surviving into Sydney but the only problem is the coach has as I say wedded himself to the his um his protege from the West. What's your view on the national selection panel? I sort of noticed on social media there's there's a bit of buzz around now that the heat's starting to to really come onto the selection panel. You know, you've got Trevor Hones, Greg Chappell and Justin Langer, the the three people charged with 
picking our team, and they just seem to be sort of bumbling around, fumbling for players. You know, Renshaw, Hanscom, Maxwell were all sort of the next in line, then all of a sudden they're not the next in line, and you've got Head, Labashane, and Harris coming in. I mean, is it right to start thinking we need a complete clean out of the selectors and pick a group that will actually try and build a team? The, the issue is calling for a complete clean out of the selectors, isn't it? And it's not one without merit, is that Holmes has only been a selector again for just over two years. I mean, there was a complete clean-out after the Hobart debacle when Rod Marsh stepped down and they changed the entire setup. And Justin Lang has come in and, as coach, has um, injected himself into the selection process a bit more. I think the outstanding issue with the selectors at the moment is their lack of accountability. I mean, when was the last time you heard Trevor Holmes front a press conference and um, explain why he picked all these players? Like, even the players that went to the UAE, the best answers we got from Trevor Holmes were in the press release announcing these guys in the team. Even before and after each match, when the 11 is selected, there's no presence of Trevor Holmes anywhere explaining why he's picking these players. And the fact that they've gone to Marnus Labashane for Sydney has just caused more uproar. I mean, his shield numbers since returning from the UAE are just disastrous. He's averaging 21 in the Sheffield Shield. And there's so many guys who have made so many more runs than him, and yet selectors turn to Manus Labashane just because he has the potential to bowl a little bit of off spin, a leg spin rather. It's the lack of accountability of the selectors that is really starting to grate with people in Australian cricket. And you're right, the pressure is absolutely building on them. Yeah, you couldn't have said it better than I did just there. It is grating. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Australia's batsmen, but... I think it is worth starting the discussion. Shane Warne had some great stats uh, after today's play that Stark and Hazelwood, they're taking their wickets at over 40 with the new ball. And you can just see in this match, not only were Australia outbatted, but we were outbowled. Australia is not getting the ball to move. And the, the Indian quicks look far better than our attack. It's almost a simplicity of the Indian plans as well. They know exactly where they're going to bowl it to every single Australian batsman that walks out. As soon as Aaron Finch walks out, they're going to angle it in in his pads. Um, they're going to try and tempt Travis Head with a wide one or get him back and try to play that um, back foot cut away from his body. They know exactly what they're doing and they've put their plans into place perfectly. I mean, the fact that they're able to bowl full and straight so consistently, if you if you do the numbers between the amount of bold and LBWs, the Indians and Australian bowlers have got in this series, I think it's double. The Indians have got double. They're bowling full and straight. Like your old under-12s coach, what did he say? If you want to get wickets in the under-12s, bowl full and straight. That's what the Indians have done. Plus, they've banged in the short ball. Plus, they've set batsmen up. And they're getting the late swing that Australia's not getting. And, you know, there was some talk that maybe since the Cape Down test, Australia are, are petrified to try and get the ball to reverse swing. But surely you can do it without sandpaper. I think it's a lot to do with the ability of the Indian bowlers as well. It's not just the condition of the ball. I mean, Ishan Sharma, they've, they've done the, the Fox cricket crew, have done numerous zooms in on, on the wrist position of Sharma compared to Mitch Stark in particular, the way Sharma's able to stand up the seam and the way Mitch Stark angles the seam. It's these basic things that the Australians haven't been able to do. I mean, Mitch Stark, if the ball doesn't swing really, he's a really inconsistent bowler. He can't put more than two or three in the same spot in and over. Um, he can really spray it around. So if the ball's not swinging, which is his strength, it doesn't work for him. The same goes for Hazelwood a little bit. We'll give him a chop out because the MCG pitch just doesn't work in his favour at all. He's a bowler who likes to nip it as well as swing it. But they just, you're right, they haven't been able to swing it at all. And I mean, they get to choose the balls as well. So we can't blame the balls. They get a full box of balls presented to them before every innings. They can choose the one that they think is going to swing. 
and it just doesn't swing. What about Chris Tremaine? He's done so well for Victoria in the Sheffield Shield, not just this season, but the last two seasons. He's built up a, a very impressive body of work. And, you know, his greatest asset is his ability to bowl outswing. Do you think it's time we start to look at him as, as being another option? Well, they're clearly looking at him already. He was part of the squad for the Adelaide Test. He was released before the Perth Test. The unfortunate thing for Trem is that he hasn't played any cricket since then because the Sheffield Shield season stopped for the Big Bash and Trem hasn't been playing for the Renegades. I'm sure he's been pounding away in the nets, but he was released from the squad before the Perth Test and hasn't been recalled since. The only other bowler they've got in there is Peter Siddle, who's not a swing bowler. He's a banging into the pitch bowler. He's not moving the ball at all, Sids. Trem is one of those guys who could really bring a point of difference to it. And the other thing is that international batsmen haven't seen him. The fact that Trem has been able to take 50 wickets in consecutive shield seasons, playing the majority of his cricket on the MCG, suggests he knows how to get wickets. Yeah, he does. The other Victorian I wanted to ask you about was, well, place for Victoria, Marcus Harris. Uh, he's, you know, been hit in the head twice now um, in the last test match and this test match. Is, is he got a problem against the short ball? You wouldn't have thought so because he grew up playing all his cricket on the whacker. I think the thing that's got him is a bit of uncertainty about, because he's both been hit on the head, both times he's been hit on the head, it's been by Jasper Boomer. And he's got that slingy action, which makes it hard to pick up. And on the MCG pitch, you could see a lot of players were ducking balls that only just got over their head. When they were standing up, they were rising up on them and hitting them on the gloves. So I don't think I've seen as many people hit on the gloves in a game as I have in this MCG test. I think I'd put Harris's couple of head knocks down. You're just a bit of unsure. You're just being a bit unsure about the Indian bowls and Jasper Broome in particular. But as I say, having grown up on the wickets in the whacker, I don't think he's got an issue against the short ball. He just needs to sort that out at test level. I don't mind Harris, but just on the eye test, my opinion is Matt Renshaw looked more comfortable at test level than Harris has so far. So I just wonder why they're investing in Harris and not Renshaw. Because they they, they put a, they, the selectors told everyone at the start of the Sheffield Shield season, if you get runs in the Sheffield Shield, we'll pick you. And Matthew Renshaw just didn't. Marcus Harris got a 250 on the MCG, and he's averaging um, he's got the highest average in the Sheffield Shield over the past three years. I don't think Harris hasn't done enough to get in the test team, and clearly at that very point in time, Renshaw hadn't. And there are other there were a few other issues lingering behind the scenes with Renshaw. There were murmurings about his attitude and his training habits and those sorts of things as well. But consider that he had such a great season for Somerset in county cricket. When it comes to the Ashes next year, you can assume very strongly that he's in a great position to come back into the team. So Australia are now 2-1 down in the series. India have a great chance to win their first ever Test Series in Australia. What's your gut feeling about the way it'll play out at the SCG? Do you think Australia have it in them to level the series? Uh, Look, you'd have to say at this stage, no, just based on the, the poor batting efforts so far. Um, at the MCG and just the, the way the Indian bowlers have bowled. And there's every suggestion that the wicket at the SCG is going to suit the Indian bowlers even more. It's going to be a bit lower and a bit slower and help out their spinners. Um, the suggestion is it will spin. And we saw Australia's performance against Ravindra Dudeja even in this game, and he's not even their best spinner. And they just looked nervous against him. Every time he bowled the ball, it looks like he was going to take a wicket. It's a long way back to the Australian team from here. I know they won in Perth, but they won in Perth on the back of their bowlers and and, a, and the Australian batsmen, well, 
they'd be they shot of confidence too. They just look bereft of confidence. They look unsure about themselves, and it is as, as I say, a long way back. Yeah, very long way back. And you know, I don't think the SCG is a particularly good result wicket. So India have no incentive to to push for a result. They could bat for two, two and a half days again, get a big score, and then just try and win the game from there or, or play it out for a draw, and they, they make history. So, yeah, it's really hard to see Australia levelling the series. Could all come down to the toss. I mean, that's yeah, what we've exactly. seen. Whoever's won the toss this series, Tim, Tim Payne's won one toss as captain, and it was the only game he won as well. That was in Perth. So it could all come down to the toss. Maybe we could take one of those hills and flat big bash bats out and try that for the SCG test. Maybe Payne will have more luck with that. Or we could try and trick one up so we, we tell Payne what to call and we know what it's going to land on, like some dodgy dice in Las Vegas. That would be very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Russell, um, I'll let you go. Thanks so much for talking post-test. Just one bit of news that surfaced during the test was Smith and Bancroft both gave sort of hard-hitting interviews, and they both came out on Boxing Day. What was your assessment of what they had to say? Look, I was a bit like Kevin Roberts in the sense that there was no new news in it, but the timing of it was particularly interesting, given it distracted everyone from looking at the test match, but that's what news stations do. And the other element of it is, of course, Cameron Bancroft throwing Dave Warner under the bus. I mean, we all knew that Dave Warner was the architect of what happened in South Africa. The, the resultant uh, CA investigation and the penalties imposed on him said as much. But the fact that Bancroft came out and said it was all Davey Warner's idea, that thrust a whole new light on the entire situation in terms of the potential for Davey to come back and Cam to come back. Steve Smith said he and Dave Warner are fine and they're okay. But the whole team dynamic, you don't know what's going to happen until they all get back together. I mean, our results show that Steve Smith and Dave Warner have to come back. They just have to come back. But team dynamic is crucial when you want to win big tournaments like the World Cup and the Ashes, which is when they'll all come back. So how that plays out will be extremely interesting on the back of what we heard earlier in the week. Yeah, and I got the feeling uh, watching the press conference after the Boxing Day test that Tim Payne will welcome Dave Warner and Steve Smith back into that batting lineup as quick as he can. Yeah, he said that today after the test. Aaron Finch said the same thing, that he welcomed them back with open arms. I think they have to say that because they know they need them. But I think there's still a lot of healing to be done within the dressing room um, between all the players. I mean, obviously, um, Aaron Finch has a close relationship with David Warner, having opened the batting with him in interna- in one-day international cricket. He was a deputy to Steve Smith in the one-day team when Steve Smith was captain. So they've got a lot um, of relationship time together. But how it works across the wider dynamic of the change room, there's rumblings about the fast bowlers still not being happy that they were thrown under the bus a little bit when um, it all happened and it was suggested that the leadership group was involved in the planning. So there's a a little bit of that to heal. But you can understand why Tim Payne and both Aaron Finch said, oh, yeah, we'll welcome them back because they need them. They're captains. They want to win games of cricket. Absolutely. Well, Russell, thank you so much for coming back on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I won't leave it another six months. We'll catch up later on in the summer and uh, take care. Good on you, Andrew. Thank you, mate. Well, great stuff there from Russell Gould from the Herald Sun in Melbourne. All right, coming up, we're going to continue our analysis of the Boxing Day test with News Corp's chief cricket writer, Ben Horn, who's been there for the whole test match. But before that, I was at the SCG recently when the Melbourne Stars played the Sydney Sixers and Pete Hanscom scored a blistering half century and spoke to me and a few other reporters after the game. So after the break, we're going to cross to the 
SCG where I caught up with Pete Hanscom. You might hear my voice, Scotty Bailey from AAP and uh, Julian Linden, who's the Big Bash reporter for the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. All right, so coming up after the break, Pete Hanscom at the SCG. Clipped up and that's all the way into the crowd. Peter Hanscom, not a bad way to get off the mark, boys. Wow. Opening the batting in T20 cricket, especially under lights, and on that wicket was was really nice. But yeah, to spend some time out in the middle was was good, and you know, to get some runs out under the belt always nice. Uh, well, obviously frustrated, disappointed, all all that all that stuff. But you can't dwell too much on it. Um, you know, obviously a team balance was a was a big thing for the squad, and we've seen. You know that, that we really needed Mitch Marsh to bowl those overs, um, so it was an important change, and, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I've I've gone about trying to, you know, maybe tinker with a couple of things, working with JL, working with Hickey, um, you know, having some good cricket conversations, open and honest conversations about, you know, what we what we think needs to be done and, and how to score some runs. So, um, yeah, it was nice to come out here and and. Um, you know, bat, bat well, um, but it is T20 cricket, and I had a little bit of luck as well. Yeah, a bit, a bit mentally, um, you know, a little bit technically as well. Like it's, it's the same old conversation, mate, that, that's been happening with my technique for however many years now. So, sort of sick of talking about it, but you know, it's just good to, to show that I can still make runs, mate. You got off the mark with a six. Was that sort of a signal of intent? And did you feel just getting that, getting off the mark that way that sort of opened the floodgates for you? Uh, Mate, uh, I'm not sure how that how I played that shot. Like it's just one of those ones. Sometimes you see it. It wasn't even that short, and it was one of the ones like it was either going to hit me or, or I needed to hit it. So yeah, it, it was nice to get off off the mark with that, and you six off three and sort of away rather than being you know the reverse. But no, I was just trying to trying to be positive the entire the entire time I was out there. Do you look at the T20 cricket and say you come in and make a statement because it's T20 cricket it's sort of hard to make a statement about you know, trying to force your way back into a test side? Uh, well I think runs are runs um, you know we saw we saw Aaron Finch get picked in the test side on the back of you know some, some solid T20 runs but that was multiple games this one being a one one hit uh, you know if I'm going to try and get back in I've got to go and do it again and again and again uh, and really force my hand so, so the selectors have no choice but to pick me so you know, it was good to make rounds today, but you know, it doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things. No team obviously came out. Um, you know, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, and sort of said you know, there's still a big chance for you for Sydney because it's spinning wicket and you play spin well. And were you sort of um, hardened by that? Yeah, it's always nice for them to say that, but you know, it's it's going to be a tough call on their their half as well. I mean, Mitch Marsh probably going to have to play if if it is flat and spinning. We're going to need another bowler, so. Um, and the other batters are batting really well, so to, to come into the side you know, off the back of one T20 hit is is a tough call. But you know I'll be putting my hands up and, and working my ass off in the nets, and uh, hopefully something comes of it. Pete, how's your wicket keeping going? I mean, good to get behind uh, with the gloves on. Yeah, best went fresh. Put the gloves on about 20 minutes after warm up um, for a five minute catch, and then went out there. So yeah, I mean it's it's good fun. I enjoy keeping. I'm, I'm always putting my hand up for white ball. For white ball keeping, I'm, I'm definitely done with first class stuff. I think that that hurts too much keeping for that long. But 20 overs is a nice, nice amount. Um, but it's good just to have that, you know, that string to my bow. And uh, I work on it from time to time. But yeah, it's good just to come out and you know, wear my way tonight. Are you looking at the 50 over World Cup or the 20 over World Cup as possible places where you could use your keeping for Australia? Yeah, definitely put my hand up for it. Try my best to play all formats for for Australia. I mean, that's that's ultimately the goal. But yeah, it's it's. It's good to be able to keep. Um, you know, I thought I did a good job tonight. Um, you know, hopefully I can just keep improving that as well.
One test match 50 to Pat Cummins. 340s. There's some runs. And indeed, Pat Cummins brings up his second test match 50. Listen to that crowd roar. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. That was Pete Hanscom talking the other night after the Big Bash. And joining me now to continue the dissection of Australia's Boxing Day test loss, I have on the phone Chief Cricket Writer from News Corp, Ben Horn. Ben, how are you? Very well, man. It's Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Now, you and I, before this test series started, you know, thought Australia might have a chance at beating India, but it really looks like we've been completely outclassed with bat and ball. It does. Um, look, I'm not sure what's going to happen in this last test. Uh, I think India are obviously firm favourites and they've got all the momentum, but um, I think if Australia were to win the toss and bat first, you know, they're not totally out of it. So... It really comes down to how effectively the batsmen can put that failure out of their minds and, and move on. Uh, but that that will be the key. And, you know, that's that's what Justin Langer will be worried about. I think he can put up with a poor performance at the moment. That The expectations have been lowered without uh, Steve Smith and Dave Warner there. But during this time, the team really needed to develop a, a, a harder mental edge. And if they don't get themselves up for Sydney, that will probably be the biggest concern of all. Yeah, I think the the attitude of the Aussies and the performance, they've shown fight throughout the series. They've they've really put a high price on their wickets and they've battled in every test match right to the very end. So you can't question their sort of approach to the game. But, I mean, you look at the way Jasper Boomer bowled in the Boxing Day test. He was just able to get more movement in the ball, bowl, more wicket-taking deliveries and has just looked a class above most of our attack apart from Pat Cummins. Yeah, that's one side of the equation, but I think the biggest issue is still the batting and um, the first innings is where most test matches are won and lost and Australia's batsmen uh, just did name up in the first innings, all out for 151. If they'd made 250, as they did in the second innings, if they'd done that first up, I I think the match would have been a draw. That would have taken a lot of time out of the game. Uh, Rain coming on day five. But unfortunately, they, they just, you know, after a couple of days in the field, they, they appeared mentally fried, made some poor decisions. And uh, that was followed up in the second innings and really only saved by um, by the guys in the lower order. What do you think Australia might do with their batting lineup at the SCG test? So they've called Marnus Lobachane back into the squad and he's only averaging 28 in the shield and he's taken five wickets at 60. But they've also got Pete Hanscom in the squad. So there's a couple of options there. Do you have sort of any inkling of what they might do or will they rearrange the batting order? Yeah, look... Um no uh, inside word, uh, but look, I think you can be pretty sure that Marnus Lubbershane's going to play. I just think um, he's been brought in for a reason, and unless the pitch is completely different to what they're anticipating, uh, I think you can guarantee he'll be in. I guess the most likely person for him to come in for would be Mitchell Marsh, because you'd be changing one all-rounder for another, but uh, there does seem to be a strong feeling that Aaron Finch is going to get dropped, so whether that means... Marnus is in for him, or perhaps they consider Pete Hanscom as well for a return, because if the pitch is as dry and as, you know, taking spin like they're expecting, that that sort of suits Pete Hanscom's game, I guess. So there could be two changes. Um, I can't see Aaron Finch opening the batting, no matter what happens. So 
I think uh, I think Usman Khawaja will be shifting up to open. Do you think Finch deserves a crack in the middle order? If you know he hasn't done well at the top of the order, do you think he deserves a, a, a shot at four or five? And it's really hard because there's no natural three and four in this team at all. So, I mean, you're going to have everybody batting out of position no matter what you do. Well, exactly. I mean, that's the whole reason why Finch was opening in the first place because they didn't have enough options for the very top of the order. I I would give Finch a chance at four or five. Uh, I just think, you know, with last test in the series, uh, if you give him a chance down there and he fails, fair enough, but that might be time for Aaron Finch. But, you know, I think the selectors would like to know um, how he goes down there because um, he's a guy that they clearly... Um, picked with a purpose. There's an Ashes series coming up later in the year and two tests against Sri Lanka where um, some easier runs might be available. So um, I would personally be giving him a chance down the order. Yeah, speaking of the Ashes, our mate Robert Crash Craddock said that the selectors should be starting to think about the Ashes now and starting to sort of build a, a batting lineup that would be able to perform against England. But to me, it doesn't look like the selectors are, are thinking the Ashes because obviously you get Smith and Warner back, so it just changes the personnel completely when they're back. Yeah, I don't I don't really agree with that. I mean, I think that the reason why they've picked guys like Travis Head, um, Marnus Labashain in, in uh, UAE last year, you know, Marcus Harris, these kind of guys, it was because they saw them hopefully as long-term test cricketers. Like, I don't think anyone has been picked in the short term. I guess you could argue Marnus has for the conditions in Sydney. But uh, I, I think that, you know, they've had the Ashes in mind all along and they just want one of these young guys to, to click. And, and, uh, and even, even, if that's, even if they get one player to show he's a test cricketer by the Ashes, you got Smith Warner coming back, and you know it really does improve the batting lineup to to have three to have three locks there. So yeah, I, I don't think that that's the problem. I, I think uh, I think they always look with that broader view. But for the Sri Lankan series, I guess they are going to have to really really nut that down and just imagine the batting lineup with Smith and Warner there. And, uh, and and try and build the strongest lineup they can around that. Yeah, just it's, I still find it baffling after Renshaw's performance in England in the last English summer that he's not in our top six, regardless of his performance at Shield level. Uh, he he was quoted yesterday in the paper saying that if he made an eighty nine for Queensland, and he thinks if he'd made that into a hundred, he'd have probably got picked for the first test. So it's such a, a fine margin at the moment. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think um, I think Renshaw should have. Uh, deserved to get picked in the UAE when he was in form and then he wasn't uh, and then fell out of form for the home summer. So he's unlucky. Uh, timing hasn't worked out for him. But I, I agree. I think he's he's got to go to England. The interesting one will be what can Cam Bancroft do between now and then to get himself back because I, I don't reckon it would take too many centuries in the Shield second half of the Shield season to, to get him on a plane. Yeah, that's a, I agree with that one. Now, uh, let's just look at the bowlers quickly. Now, Pat Cummins had an, an absolutely phenomenal test, 6 for 27 in the second innings, a dogged half century. His figures for, for this year, 2018, are 44 wickets at a tick under 20. He's averaging almost 20 with the bat, but he's, he's more he's facing a lot of balls every inning, so he's, he's sticking around with the top-order batsman. We saw that in the 
ashes last summer. I mean, Pat Cummins has not only announced himself on the world stage as being a wonderful player, but he's he's probably our best player at the moment by a long way. Yeah, well, um, the selectors did pick this. Um, he's the, the number one ranked player in the country uh, on the contract list. And, you know, he's, yeah, I agree. I think he is overall their most valuable player. Nathan Wine up there as well for Test Cricket. But, uh, yeah, fabulous cricketer and Cricket Australia uh, and the selectors get a lot wrong. But uh, they've been right about Pat Cummins from day dot and the support they've given him during his injuries has, uh, you know, has, has led to this point now. Yeah, tremendously gutsy performance in that test, you know, when with the bat and ball to just continually run in on that pitch. He's just he's just shown that he's got that X factor that this team's craving. But, I mean, Shane Warne has, has thrown the blowtorch on Stark and Hazelwood. I saw you write about it this morning. The figures for Stark and Hazelwood are that they're taking top six batsman wickets at an average above 40 for both of them. Uh, when do you start to look at Stark and Hazelwood and think, should we give someone else a go? Definitely not at that point, uh, I don't think. I mean, I, I think um, that story was written by Russell Gould this morning based on Shane Warne's strong assertions last night. Sorry, Betty, I got the byline wrong there. <laughs> I take the point that, you know, perhaps they've been down on what we've seen in the past, but I, don't, I just don't think that that is the major reason. And, like, who else would you pick? I mean, uh, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark are world-class bowlers. Um, James Pattinson is starting to come back, so... I guess he's one guy that can put a bit of pressure on them, but there's no way that I, I'm, I'm replacing one of those guys for a Chris Tremaine or, or a Peter Siddle at this point. Peter Siddle, like when we get to England, perhaps Peter Siddle um, puts some pressure on because of his specialist skills. But uh, if you're talking about the remaining tests for this Australian summer, uh, I've pretty much got the bowling attack locked in. And Crash was talking on Cricket 360 about how Australia's just not getting the ball to reverse swing since Cape Town. And, you know, whether it is about ball maintenance or... I just It's, it's such a perplexing thing because India are getting some reverse swing and we're not getting any. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, look, there's a few factors there. One is how, how good India's been at it um, has probably made our performance with the old ball look worse. But, look, the the, the statistics and um, and uh, it seems, as Pete Lawler reported, the directive to umpires before the season started uh, was that, um, you know, there can be no even interpretation of funny business with the ball. Um, even if there's nothing going on, uh, the appearance of, of working on the ball, you know, Australian cricket is, is clearly gun-shy about that sort of thing. So, um yeah, look, that's, you know, just like the sledging and the on-field demeanour has taken a while to take shape. It could be a while till uh, Australian players feel comfortable to, to be maintaining the ball as, uh, as other countries do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, just on the bowlers, I guess a couple of bowlers that I, I think we should look out for. Chris Tremaine has taken almost 30 wickets in, in the low 20s this summer, and he's, he's sort of an outswing specialist. And Jai Richardson, who was in the South African squad, he's been in bristling form sort of at the back end of the shield and now in the big bash, he's got that sort of extra pace. You know, he might be another option if Stark sort of starts to burn out towards the end of this summer and you want to arrest him for a Sri Lankan test. Yeah, possibly. But again, I, I, this is just my opinion, but I wouldn't be dropping any of the fast bowlers unless there is an injury or, or they are burnt out. I think I think they are clearly the three best bowlers in the country. But the one exception to that, I would say, is I think James Pattinson very capable of forcing his way into that top three, but uh, it may be a little early for him. 
uh, given the injury problems he's had. I'm not sure how they want to maintain him. Chris Tremaine, Jai Richardson, these guys are all terrific bowlers. But um, to me, uh, at this point, I think that they're on, on the cusp if there's an injury. But I don't think that they're going to force anyone out based on form. Yeah, fair enough. And, and what about uh, the press conferences after play? What was Virat Kohli like? Uh, pretty subdued. Pretty, um, I think, satisfied that uh, India had um, put a pretty tumultuous test in Perth behind them and, uh, and and struck back because they came under a fair bit of criticism for their own selections and then were forced to make some bold changes for Melbourne, which people interpreted as panic. But, yeah, I think satisfied at, uh, at, a, at a very well-executed test match. And how are you and Virat going? Um, oh, look, I don't think he would look twice if he passed me in the street. I, I don't know him at all. But, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's focused, he's firmly on the field at the moment. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that uh, tends to dwell on what um, people with my level of uh, cricketing expertise uh, think. <laughs> <laughs> and what about uh, Tim Payne after the test? I know he, he was asked about sort of having Smith and Warner back. What did he say and what was his sort of general mood after the defeat? Uh, look, there was a bit of the impression that Australia is sort of treading water to a certain extent until Smith and Warner come back. That that was somewhat of the vibe, I've got to say, that the, the problems in Australian cricket aren't going to be solved overnight and the most immediate solution is to have two world-class players available again. So that was sort of the vibe. There's not a, you know, what he was saying, I guess, is a defence of the selectors, and I, and I tend to agree that um, what are the solutions? I mean, fair enough, you can argue Joe Burns, you can argue Matt Renshaw, you can argue Glenn Maxwell, and, and I get it. All those guys have very valid claims to, to come in, and in fact, I probably would be selecting um, at least two of the three of those guys. But, but if you look at the, the first-class averages and all the numbers that you can present, uh, there's still no one, in my opinion, who's absolutely demanding to get picked outside of the current top six. Yes, you can make arguments for other people and you can make arguments against guys currently in the team, but the, the environment that we're in with the sort of the bar so low, there does become an element of selectors going on gut feel and different things like that. And perhaps their gut feel has been wrong on a couple of players. But I think that this is a um, depth and uh, system issue uh, in Australian cricket in terms of producing players rather than a selection issue. Well, it's it's a fair point. I guess the counter to that is it's some of the players in the team seem to be doing less than some of the players outside the team. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, perhaps their gut feel has been wrong on a couple of these guys they've backed in. I mean, that is entirely fair criticism, but... But in terms of the basis on why these players were chosen in the first place, I don't think it's it's as unsound as what um, as what some people might make out. Mm, yeah, well, as I said, my big problem is just that the pecking order changes sort of every few months. Uh, that that's my real issue. But we wouldn't we wouldn't have this problem if players were averaging fifty in first class cricket. But unfortunately, they're not, and there's a lot of guys making it. Uh, and, you know, it, we're talking about the margins of averaging 34 as opposed to 38 or something like that. You know, it's not it's it's not sort of the absolute knock them down kind of uh, statistics that we had, um, you know, outside the test team 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, we'll just keep going around in circles in this one until we Smith and Warner get back and we get some hundreds. I mean, there's been straight scored no centuries this year. All right, well, I guess, Benny, we'll wrap this up. Just uh, the last couple, Boxing Day test pitch. I know they're going to try and revamp the drop-in wickets, but it's going to take a few years. So I guess we'll sort of see this type of MCG wicket, at least in the short term, which sort of breaks up and keeps a bit low, which is almost a 
a very old school MCG pitch. Yeah, exactly. I think um, they're trying to go with a, a, a newer strip and a younger strip next year, so there may be some small difference. But essentially, I think they've admitted that it'll take three or four years to uh, to really get what they need. But look, they're going to go down the path that Adelaide and Perth have with um, the, the pitches no longer being in trays. They'll be on rails. Uh, I think the depth of the soil will be you know, in line with the other two, the, the MCG is a lot more shallow at the moment. So there's all those little scientific things that um, they've got to change. And, yeah, look, it's, it is an, it's an urgent issue. I, I mean, the, the MCG administration can sort of, I guess, comfortably come out and uh, this morning and say, what was everyone talking about? Uh, we had a result test match and it was um, an interesting last couple of days. But the first two days were dire and really stopped the series in its tracks. Like it was a series that just had this pulsating momentum from one day to the next and it was stopped dead on day one and two. And, you know, like, yes, we've got a result, but what about the 80,000 fans that have paid to turn up on day one? You know, that's what the, that's what the game's about, meant to be to entertain fans and... Um, that the showpiece test of the summer deserves better. Yeah, I agree with that. You just want the ball coming onto the bat, so you see the quicks and the batsmen playing exciting cricket. I guess then, as a result of that, we're seeing the, the discussion about perhaps shifting Boxing Day to a day-night test, gathering momentum. Uh, what was your feeling around that in the press box? Uh, it wasn't discussed, but um, interesting. I mean, I certainly prefer that to moving it elsewhere. I mean, I think the Boxing Day test has to be in Melbourne. Interesting thought. I mean, I guess the argument against it is the crowds are so good as they are at, 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 you know, as a daytime test, and also it's it's holiday time, so you know the the, the family friendly time of being during the day. But look, if it's going to improve the, the conditions of the pitch, it's probably not going to hurt the hurt the crowd too much. So yeah, I, I don't think it's the worst suggestion if if things don't improve with the pitch. And you get a sleep in on Boxing Day, and then you could just sort of amble into the ground <laughs> a bit later. All right, exactly. well. Exactly. well well, Benny, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm going to see you at SCG training very soon. Not our training, the Aussie training, of course. And uh, have a safe trip back and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, man. Take care. Always great to have a Ben Horn on the show. And we're coming to the end of this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, thanks to all the listeners who've taken the time recently to leave reviews on the Apple iTunes store. I'm going to read a few out in the next episode. So thanks very much for doing that. Also, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me on OzCricketPod. That's A-U-S CricketPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Amenas or my website, Andrew Mensel. So if you want to email in any of your highlights and lowlights of the cricket calendar in 2018, I'd love to hear from you and I'm going to read a few out over the coming weeks. All right, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Russell Gould, uh, Ben Horn and Pete Hanscom for appearing on the show and we'll be back soon with another podcast. (laughs) 